0: The following podcast was recorded and produced by lapsed Star Wars enjoyers. While the hosts approach the material with some residual fondness, they are frequently reductive, dismissive, inaccurate, disrespectful, and deeply unfair to George Lucas, Timothy Zahn, and the Star Wars intellectual property in general. If this sounds like a bad time to you, you will have a bad time. Caveat Listener, and on to the show. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to the uh the only podcast, uh, I haven't checked, but as far as I know, the only podcast devoted to the uh the works of that Homer of American letters, our own Virgil, Timothy Zahn, and his Thrawn trilogy. Yes, you are listening to Thronderdome. And if you've listened to our introductory episode last time, you'll know that this is the episode where we'll actually get into recapping uh the first three chapters of the first volume of the trilogy Heir to the Empire. I am your host, the esteemed Dr. Daniel Dottie, and with me, as always, is my uh, the Nia Nunb to my Lando Calrissian, Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how are you this evening?
1: Uh, pretty good. Uh, I, I saw a, a bad uh, vampire movie, so it really put uh, put good fiction in perspective. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm ready to talk about uh, Thrawn.
0: Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Well, yes. So before we actually get into the recapping, I was digging through the archives and I found an issue of Starlog magazine. Now, for those of you who weren't giant nerds in the year 1993, Starlog was a science fiction fan magazine. This was the kind of thing you had to go to before the Internet to be able to read what other nerds thought about nerd shit. Um, I, I believe it actually began life as a, you, you,
1: you might, you might be able to recognize it by its uh, current name, the Atlantic.
0: <laughs> That's right. Uh <laughs> but anyway, I, I think
1: uh, they, I think they switched names to like 97, 98. Yeah,
0: around then. So Yeah. Somewhere around there. Um, you know, uh, I think when James Fallows took over as uh, as editor in chief anyway, um, <laughs> but a little, that's a little deep cut Atlantic humor for uh, for all y'all out there. Uh, so but I so I found an issue of Starlog from 1993 with an interview with Timothy Zahn on the eve of the release of the third volume in this trilogy. Um, but it kind of talks more about the, uh, the the entire trilogy itself. And it's kind of it's kind of Genesis now. And I feel like this is important that we do a little reading series on this. I'm going to read some sort of select snippets because it's definitely going to set the tone for what we're about to experience and i think provides some valuable historical context which of course ronnie knows is the best thing in the world that could ever possibly be given to anyone is historical context um
1: i, I just to before you get into it uh this is this is a uh, called thronder dome but we're also like going into the mind of timothy zahn as we go through these books
0: yes yes because
1: as you'll find out uh these books are just a Just as much a reflection of Timothy Zahn as, as you know, any author's books are a reflection of the author.
0: That's exactly right. In fact, the the thesis that one can learn almost everything about someone through the artwork they produce is introduced in these very pages that we're about to recap for everyone. So it's almost as if Timothy himself is telling us, boys, please, please interpret who I am through my art. I beg of you. He said those... His words. He said that to us. Um, but to actually... To actually read some actual his words from 1993, uh, here we have in a in a piece called Heir to the Wars by Coralie Grebe, which... Clever. Is, yes, yes. Coralie Grebe, which is a very Tim and Eric name. I'm sorry, Miss Grebe. Um, uh, Jedi author Timothy Zahn spins new tales of a galaxy far, far away. Um, So she kind of sets up that it's been... Uh, it's 15 years after the release of the first Star Wars film. Uh, we have an extension of the Star Wars saga, uh, bringing to a boil the Star Wars passion that has simmered beneath the surface of popular culture. That's interesting to say it has simmered beneath the surface of popular culture. It's kind of what we were talking about last time uh, about how Star Wars was kind of backburnered at this point. Um,. But our first our first quote from Zahn says, uh, when I was talking to some second, third and fourth graders before the first book came out, I was showing them the cover and they were pointing out Han, Luke, Chewie and everybody. He recalls, it's not like Star Wars is 15 years old and gone. The kids of this generation have seen the videotapes and know them. They want to see more. It has touched something in them, too. It is not dated, (laughs) not as in italics.
1: (laughs) I mean, my first question from that is, who is letting Timothy Zahn be around like fourth graders?
0: I I would think maybe it was like, uh, you know, it was bring bring your dad to work or bring your dad to school day or like someone like one of his kids said like, hey, my dad had this book deal, and so he's gonna come talk to the kids. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, um,
1: my dad tells sarcastic droids what to do for a living. <laughs>
0: And uh, so Miss Grebe writes here, while most, the most avid fans of Star Wars are noted for buying anything with a Star Wars logo, slam, Zahn's books seem to have tapped uh, a a different market. Um, One reason for this trilogy's popularity might well be the release in hardcover, a marketing strategy that suggests substance and sophistication. (laughs) I think this she says suggests, not that it entails or that it indicates, but it suggests. Uh, another possibility is that it's been so long since fans had a taste of Star Wars that they're starving for any sanctioned crumb. I love that Miss Greeb is just validating all of my theses <laughs> that we had from our introductory episode. Um, here's a great quote from Zahn, which I don't know. I think this is very funny. He says here, quote, I've attempted to make the books like the movies, explains Zahn. They open with a Star Destroyer, all three of them, and have cliffhangers, but not desperate cliffhangers. Now, Ronnie, which of the, like, I can only, I think only one of the Star Wars trilogy has an actual cliffhanger ending, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, Return of the Jedi just has, like, them celebrating the end of the
0: Empire. Right, they all won. Star
1: Wars, and Star Wars was famously, you know, not necessarily going to have a sequel. It was, you know, uh, Luke destroys the Death Star, that's it you know right they he get, get uh, they get medals they, everybody but everybody but <laughs> chewy gets a medal
0: right uh, that was I, I was just like man timothy bro like so, <laughs> they do not all have cliffhangers they do all open uh with a star destroyer though so i guess i i guess i have to give them that um i
1: like the the theory i'm coming up with is that like zon is operating on memories of like last seen star wars like 10 years ago and uh, this is before the internet so yes. he's like yeah, uh, yeah i mean they probably all had cliffhangers
0: what the hell <laughs> now so here's okay i i i think <laughs> here's when i explain how zon absorbed star wars and how it's how it's going through for him uh so there's another section here where he says star wars was very very close to my heart the Star Wars soundtracks were among the major things I would listen to while working on my first novel, he recalls. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, if Lucas can make it, maybe I can make it. I was very impressed with the movies. His family shared his interest in Star Wars. On long car trips, they listened to audio-taped versions of the movies, partly to keep Zon's young son entertained. Quote, we had heard those tapes ten times more than we had seen the movies, which meant I had the phrasing, the dialogue, how people said things, and how they tracked it down cold before I even started writing. End quote. So, so he, he, he's going by listening to Star Wars in the car.
1: <laughs> I mean, whatever gets your brat, you know, keep him from crying, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't, uh, I can't blame him there. Um
1: I mean my parents had to listen to like a DuckTales uh, tape like a thousand times during my childhood, so
0: Oh well that's different. DuckTales rules. I mean they should have been they should have been proud I mean that's why happy. I'm
1: writing my DuckTales trilogy series. So. <laughs>
0: that's right. <laughs> you, you got you uh, got you got permission from uh from Barks film. Carl Barks himself uh has authorized this as the yeah. continuation <laughs> of That's about uh,
1: Duckburg uh, going under the thrall of a, uh, a tactical genius billionaire named Lonnie.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so, uh, so a little more background on the kind of the procedure here, or the, pro- the, 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 the creative process. Um, uh, LucasArts authorized the trilogy, approving the outline and manuscripts, but offering little official background for the project. According to Zahn, quote, the only two rules LucasArts gave, were that I was to start three to five years after Return of the Jedi, and I could use anybody who hadn't been killed in the movies, end quote. <laughs> the writer had no direct involvement. I mean, those,
1: those, those are pretty good rules, yeah, honestly. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, you know, it makes sense. The writer had no direct involvement with George Lucas, dealing primarily with LucasArts. Uh, now that you might remember last time we talked about LucasArts, that was the uh, the video game licensing segment of Lucasfilm. That's interesting. I guess it's because this is licensing. I guess that must be it. Anyway, um, the writer had no direct involvement with George Lucas, dealing primarily with Lucas Arts, but he does believe Lucas has read the outline and that some questions about what he could do in the stories did rise through the ranks. But, Zahn adds, I don't know if he has even had a chance to read the books yet. End quote. (laughs) He he also, this was a little mysterious, and maybe you can help me parse what they mean by this, Roddy. He also describes Lucas Arts' contribution as tinkering, fine-tuning. They suggested name changes of characters or planets that they felt to be unpronounceable. Reminders as to who minor characters were, like Wedge Antilles, were also added.
1: So, if, if they're saying like they're making making sure some names aren't uh, unpronounceable, I I don't think they read the book, cause i'm I'm like all thumbs with like half of the fucking things introduced in this book,
0: yeah, yeah, uh, a few major like you know plot elements too, but more importantly, like at what point in the process did he I mean I can see why he would have to be reminded of like see okay, I think i'm I'm coming at this as someone who has read all the Star Wars novels, right, and all that and now that I'm thinking about it, did anyone ever say the name Wedge Antilles in the movies? I don't, I'm not sure if they know.
1: did. Maybe it's, like, one of those things where, like, uh, like if you look at uh, G.I. Joe and, and Transformers and stuff. Yeah. Like, most of most of the stuff, like, the names and, and, like, their personalities were actually, like, written by comic book writers who were, like, tasked with giving them names and personalities.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, so, I... I,
1: I... So, so, it wasn't, like, Lucas who named, like, Wedge Antilles. It was, like, some guy who was working on the toy line or something. <laughs>
0: right. It was the same guy who named uh, named that other guy Yak Face. I just thought that was a very odd, because it's like, because Wedge does appear in these first few chapters. Like, apparently, like, you know, Timothy wanted to have him in there. So was it a matter of, like, hey, what was the name of that other pilot guy? Uh, can you remind me? Or was it a matter of, like, did LucasArts say, like, hey, we want you to work in Wedge and Tillys? <laughs> like, it's very... <laughs>
1: I mean, here's my issue with the whole thing. What the fuck was George Lucas doing in the early 90s that precluded him from reading these?
0: <laughs> well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, Ronnie. Uh, because I am convinced... You trying to make Howard the Duck 2 work? Well, I'm convinced that what we have here in this Starlog interview with Timothy Zahn in 1993 is the first hint in print, the first published hint, that the prequel trilogy was coming. Okay? Now stay with me. Uh, I'll read the segment that I think indicates this. Uh, There were topics LucasArts did consider off-base, however. While hesitant to mention too much, Zahn admits that recounting the Clone Wars set off some alarms. Quote, I had worked up a loose history of the Clone Wars, and the word came down that I wasn't allowed to reference them in any great detail. They're mentioned a couple of times, and we did need to nail down approximately when they took place. We finally nailed it down but I'm not allowed to do major referencing. Huh.
1: Okay, that makes sense.
0: Right. And uh, when beginning this project, Zahn thought that his trilogy might very possibly be the last word on Star Wars. Quote. Oh, I
1: fucking wish.
0: (laughs) Quote. At that time, I was under the impression that this was going to be all that would be done with Star Wars. End quote. So, like, when they, got, when they signed him on to do this, it was just like, hey, you're, you're going to get to finish off, uh, like, do another trilogy, and, and you're, you're going to be the guy who finishes Star Wars. Since then, however, George Lucas has been more definite about actually making the first trilogy. Quote, My feeling is that this time he may mean it, because he authorized these books. My personal feeling is that he was testing the waters. I think Lucas always intended to do all nine movies, but simply burned out after doing three, and I don't blame him. I personally don't want him to do them until he's ready. I've seen too much wasted effort by people going through the motions. When he's excited about doing them, I want to see what he can come up with." In the meantime, Zahn sees his contribution as a legitimate continuation of the adventure. (laughs) If Lucas never makes the final trilogy, he says, then we can consider this trilogy canon, as Star Wars purists have been talking about what is canon and what isn't. The minute Lucas makes any movie that contradicts what I've done, mine goes out the window. But until that happens, I'm going to consider it canon. So what do you think of do that? Do you think
1: he was do you think he was watching like Phantom Menace with a fine tooth comb and like just <laughs> looking for references that would like throw the Thrawn trilogy out of canon?
0: <laughs> I mean, I would I would think so. I I think that... I'm just
1: imagining him at like the fucking premiere, or more likely, like the the first weekend.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they like didn't just, they they didn't invite just... Timothy Zahn to the premiere. No, he he had to he had to wait in line for the midnight show, like I did.
1: Oh yeah, just, he's <laughs> just like waiting for the other shoe to drop.
0: <laughs> I like the the day that Disney bought Star Wars was Timothy Zahn's personal 9/11. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> So I we'll have I have one last excerpt that I want to read um, because I think it's it's just fascinating in the context of the the history of the Star Wars extended universe. It says here what has begun with Zahn's book trilogy will continue with a half dozen further authorized Star Wars stories from the Lucas Arts Bantam Alliance. Kenneth Flint is signed for a new trilogy, while Kathy Tyers, Kevin Anderson, and Dave Wolverton will each produce single books. Okay. That's pretty funny because, as it actually turned out, the only Star Wars stuff Kenneth Flint ever got published were in uh, "Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina" and a book that got canceled that he later posted as fan fiction. <laughs> um, Kathy tires. Do you, do you think
1: it was like? Do you think it was like that scene in in uh, Breaking Bad outside like the Home Home Depot parking lot where Walter goes up to those uh, would be meth cooks and is like. Stay out of my territory.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Um, so Kenneth Flint, uh, I guess he, he lost the trilogy. But of those other items, it's Kevin J. Anderson who wrote the next trilogy, the Jedi uh, the Jedi Academy trilogy, which is we're probably going to have to do for the show. But is, at the time, I remember thinking when I was 12 and a Star Wars fanatic being a pile of shit. So I'm very excited to revisit that. Uh, Dave Wolverton, of course, is most famous for uh, penning the the beautiful masterpiece, The Courtship of Princess Leia. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that Star Wars novel, Ronnie.
1: That sounds like some Fifty Shades bullshit.
0: Uh, it's even better because it takes place on a planet of force witches who ride rancors. Oh, that sounds cool. Uh, it's not. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> So that is, that is Well, I mean,
1: I mean, isn't most of Star Wars things that sound cool, but actually turn out to be dog shit.
0: That is a very, very strong motif in the entire setting and series and overall, uh, intellectual property. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, Ronnie, that, so that's, uh, some choice picks from, uh, a little, uh, a, a fan magazine puff piece on Timothy Zahn in 1993, which I think gives us, uh, I think we're ready to actually start recapping Heir to the Empire, the official canon continuation of the Star Wars saga. We open on the bridge of an Imperial Star Destroyer. Classic. Uh, so and, he
1: was right. I mean, it starts with a Star Destroyer. Yeah, he, he nailed
0: it. Um, uh, uh, an old... Uh, the, there's a, a elderly captain we presume he's elderly, uh, Peléon, Captain Peléon is, uh, sort of melancholically musing on the disaster at the battle of the second death star and how the flower of the, uh, Imperial Navy officer corps was wiped out when the executor, the superstar destroyer plunged into the, uh, the second death star and, uh, and exploded because, uh, of course that was the fast track to promotion was to serve on Darth Vader's personal flagship. So that's where all the best young officers were, and they all they all got wiped out. And Peléon in in his musing, mentions that he's been in the Imperial Navy for 50 years. And now, I know that the chronology of the Imperial era and the older, has always been a little dodgy, because like, It's supposed to have all gone down, like the Old Republic falls into the Empire around the same time that Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader, but also the scrappy teenager boy was his son from before he was Darth Vader, which means that the Empire couldn't be more than 18, 17 years old at the time of A New Hope. Right?
1: Daniel, how does it feel to know that you're about the same age as Darth Vader was in Return of the Jedi? (laughs) Cause he was like 3940.
0: I mean, I light, guess so. Light. It's, it's a, it's a hard 40. Uh, he was rode hard and put up wet as we say down here in the South. Uh, but, um, uh, but, but, but I, 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 this really stuck out to me because like, so is he just using, uh, presumably this would mean that this guy had like 30 years of service in the old Republic Navy and then transitioned into the Imperial Navy and he just uses the term "imperial navy" for the whole span of his career. I don't know that that jumped out at me as something. Yeah, I mean, like...
1: once once a navy man, always a navy man. I mean, <laughs> really, for a lot of a lot of things, it was probably just like switching logos on the on like the uh, the 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 desk papers.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. But uh, we're there. He's he's kind of the old guard. He's uh, he's a little frustrated with all these uh, wet behind the ears you know striplings that he has to share his bridge with but of course this is the the remnants of the uh imperial navy after the disaster at uh at the battle of endor so they've had they, they've had to uh, hire a bunch of bo- under project bootstrap <laughs> so anyway he's monitoring you you like
1: you like this note that i i uh had because uh, it's probably the most high-minded this this whole uh book will ever be i i uh put uh Uh, peloton is bitching about how young lieutenants are these days and and it's shades of nazi germany's final year where children were conscripted oh yeah yeah this goes into my whole theory that uh timothy zahn really wanted to be like a a military fiction writer yeah he didn't know anything about like wars or like what happened in them (laughs) so well the thing is he he realized that the the way he could the way he could uh, do what he wanted to do, but without having to actually learn anything is he just went into sci-fi. Yeah.
0: Could, yeah.
1: You know, make up wars. You just
0: make it up. Um, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah. We didn't mention with kind of the setup there, but uh, Timothy Zahn cut his teeth in science fiction publishing in a subgenre called military SF, which is basically like uh, anyone who read starship troopers, and was not at all put off by its extremely fascistic underlying ideology and thought the, that, that it was the descriptions of the battles were cool. And it's an entire subgenre of guys who uh, either uh, consciously or unconsciously recapitulate Robert Heinlein's incipient fascistic tendencies. Uh, so anyway, um, but that is where that is where Zong got his start. And I, and I think that does. Yeah, I think you're right, Ronnie. That does sort of shine through in the way that he approaches the Star Wars material. Um. Uh, so, uh, after, after an exchange, he's, he's monitoring what's going on with a, uh, a, a scout mission had been sent to the Obroa Sky, uh, system where they were trying to hack their mainframe to, to go in there and, and do a data, a data breach and get some info from their central computer library, which is, I, I guess that's how stuff works in Star Wars. Um, but, uh, so the, the...
1: I, I, I'm just going to get ahead of it, uh, right now, like, we're probably not even going to like pronounce all the actual English words correctly, so <laughs> it's going to be a crapshoot for like the shit that Zon made up for this novel. Uh, just so you know,
0: yeah, like, that's yeah. Y'all uh, all have to bear with us. Oh, and a, another thing, I, I, I before we get too deep into the recap, I do want to point out that uh, this is a Wikipedia-free podcast. Um, I used to do a, uh, a history podcast uh, that we mentioned that we were a Wikipedia-free history podcast because we cared about getting it right, and we cared about using high-quality sources. This podcast... I thought been... you were going
1: to say that your history podcast didn't use Wikipedia, which, like, makes sense. Well, it, yeah, I mean, didn't, there it didn't I mean, there isn't real history on there. There's just, like, <laughs> stuff about, uh, you know, uh, Greedo's... Uh, uh, Brother-in-law and shit. Yeah,
0: the the history of how Greedo got his vest. Uh, but um, uh, but I I would like to point out that you know we, we did Wikipedia free research because we wanted to present high quality information. Ronnie and I are Wikipedia free because we don't care if we get it wrong. So if any if we mispronounce a name or we get the wrong end of the stick on like what a particular like starfighter or whatever is called, just rest assured we don't care and we are not checking up on it. Um, yeah,
1: so... I, I actually like, uh, not to cut you off, but, uh, yeah. well, I'm cutting you off, but, uh, <laughs> when I was, when I was, when I was reading about the Super Star Destroyer and it's been like, God, like 10, 10, years since I've seen Return of the Jedi, I thought to myself, wait, was there a Super Star Destroyer at the end of Jedi? And then I like looked, I like put Super Star Destroyer, the executor and into Google and like the first results for Wikipedia and I'm like nope, nope, not going down there. <laughs> no, not touching it. I, I don't need to know about how the executor got its paint job.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Um. So, but but to continue, to get back into the the gripping story, uh. So this uh the uh the the little scout ships that were sent on this mission are now uh, on their way back because they got pinged. Right. They, got, uh, they got ships chasing after them, probably. So they're, they're heading back toward the Chimera, which is the name of this, this Star Destroyer. And this is the Star Destroyer which has been selected as the flagship of a brilliant, charismatic, mysterious, last hope of the Imperial cause. A certain admiral, a grand admiral, named Thrawn who has been remodeling <laughs> the the old apartments of the previous commander and 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 mysteriously and no one's been down there to see it but uh Captain Peléon, as uh of course this is a a crucial time in the operation is going to go see go see the grand admiral in his new command room so uh he he marches down there he is uh he announces himself he's led into an antechamber where a a small wiry figure uh, kind of sticks a knife in his back and says like, ah, all right, you're good. And this is where introduced to Rook, who is, uh, kind of like Dobby, I guess, <laughs> from Harry Potter. <clears throat> He's just like this little, uh, uh, little wormy guy who's fanatically loyal.
1: Here's one of my first points about this uh book, because we're, we're going to get a lot into like, you know, the, the writing quality. Which, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, is is not bad. I mean, it's certainly yeah, readable. it's serviceable. I mean, it's not like Faulkner or, or, or Dostoevsky, but, you know, I wasn't really expecting that from Star Wars anyway. But <laughs> my point is, um, Zahn is really bad at describing what characters look like. Yes. Um. So, like, this Rook character, I, I noted that he had a cat-like voice that mewed, and he's a member of the Nagri species. So I'm thinking, like, he's some sort of cat man. Sure. But he doesn't really describe him what... So like I don't know if this is just like a, a dude or or a, or a monster man or, or a cat or or what
0: yeah what we what we get <clears throat> in those couple paragraphs is that he has large dark eyes, a protruding jaw and glistening needle teeth uh, and dark gray skin so you know I guess
1: <laughs> like, you know, all right which could just be like a deformed guy
0: <laughs> yeah it could be a guy I, I think maybe we're meant to picture like a weird looking guy like dobby. Um, who's a, a the weird only
1: person he, he really describes in detail is, uh, Thrawn for, for, I'm sure is only coincidental reasons.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He does describe Palayon as having a walrus mustache. So I basically just sub in, uh, Wilford Brimley for that guy.
1: Dude, he can't be Wilford Brimley, because Wilford Brimley already played a character in Star Wars. Uh people... he was the hermit in the the second Ewok movie.
0: Yeah, people can play more than one role. People can play more than one role in the same movie. It's almost as if you've never seen Quest of the Delta Knights, starring... Uh, what's his name? Who just died?
1: David Warner. David
0: Warner, thank you.
1: <laughs> THB Ninja Turtles 2's David Warner.
0: That's right, that's right. Uh, Freakazoid's David Warner. Um, but anyway, back... <laughs> Back to the Star Wars novel. So uh, after that little encounter, he's led into the main chamber, which Peleon has his breath taken away because he's stepping into an art museum. My goodness. There's artworks all over the wall, holographic representations of sculptures and paintings from all over the galaxy. And at the center of all of this is Grand Admiral Thrawn sitting motionless, meditating. He is described. All the
1: art being holographic is kind of a disappointment because you, you get like an art museum, uh, you know, uh, uh, room for this guy. You think like, wow, he's plundered like all sorts of planets. But no, it's just like holographic. It's like having a it's like having, you know, JPGs of like famous paintings everywhere.
0: Yeah. When what you need to have is the NFT so that you know for sure that some idiot paid $10,000 for it. It's and like
1: he's a remnant of the empire. <laughs> like they should have, they should have access to this shit.
0: Well, that was part of that that's was part the of being um, the empire, right? That was part of the. Uh, I think they actually mentioned it that like these are re- these are replicas of works that are now in the hands of the rebels because they took you know the imperial capital planet and all that stuff. Um, but God anyway, goddamn
1: <clears throat> God rebellion taking away. Dogs playing poker.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we're introduced to Grand Admiral Thrawn he has shimmery blueback hair. He has pale blue skin and, and uh, a glint of red glowing eyes. So there's, there's Thrawn. He's, he's a, he looks like a human, but he has blue skin and glowing red eyes. And, uh, Play-On goes on to, well, we were kind of go on to explain that, uh, As uh, apparently the Emperor was racist against non-humans. And the relationship between, like, humans and, like, aliens in Star Wars has always been a little unclear to me. Because it seems like humans are all over the galaxy, but then aliens have, like, home planets. So... I, I don't know. I, I don't know quite how that's that all got that way. It, colonialism, I guess. Well, I don't
1: know. Well, I think, I think Zahn is picking up on the fact that, like, the Empire is almost exclusively staffed by British dudes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, he's yeah, he's making it a British Empire thing. Yeah, you're right. Um,
1: I th- Well, I think it's more that he's, like, making the implicit racism of the original trilogy explicit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah.
1: I think is actually kind of an interesting move, honestly.
0: That's fair, because you're, you're right. Like, all the Empire guys were all humans, but the Rebel Alliance... You had, you know, uh, squid faces and uh, slime faces, uh, you know, all kinds of guys, you know, uh, running. Yeah, around like there. at
1: best the, the Empire would like hire uh, uh, monster faces as bounty hunters to get Han Solo, but that's about it.
0: That's right. That's right. You're right. Um, so the, anyway, the, ba- the back story, as, as we know, at least at these early days for uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, is that he was a, a young officer of such exceptional talent that uh the emperor couldn't just be racist he had you know he was like well we can't just waste this guy so he sent him basically to to be the uh the frontier general he sent him out into into a quote unquote indian country basically would be the conception i think that is being mirrored here that he was taming what's called the unknown regions to bring these still barbaric sections of the galaxy under imperial control which also explains why the most greatest tactical genius of the of the imperial navy was not at the battle of Endor with everybody else Because he was out in the hinterlands. Uh,
1: <clears throat> but, we uh, have... Dan, Daniel, uh, would you yeah. say, um, of the three chapters you've read, uh, 50 or 60% of the, of the text is just blowing Admiral Thrawn. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, So far. Yes.
1: <laughs> because I have a, I have a line that I, I wrote down, which is, uh, Pelion had often wondered how the Battle of Endor would have ended if Thrawn, not Vader, had been commanding the executor. Mm hmm And then and then like earlier Pelion's talking about how oh the Death Stars were just like uh the Emperor trying to consolidate his power within the, the Empire and,
0: and At the expense of the of navy like him, and stuff, yeah. A lot
1: of him throwing shade at the Emperor and, and and Vader. It's like Yeah You know, what if Thrawn what if Thrawn was, was in uh Return of the Jedi. It might have gone a bit differently, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, it's, it's an interesting touch. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a lot of uh, just absolute slavishly blowing Thrawn, which rhymes with Zahn, uh, we will point out. <laughs> but <clears throat> just to give you an it's idea... It's almost as
1: though if you combine the names Timothy and Zahn,
0: you would get Thrawn. <laughs> almost. <laughs> but to give you a sense of the kind of magnificent bastard we're dealing with, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a block quote here. Um, let's see. Uh, they're, 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 they're talking... Thrawn is... Uh, Palaean is like, oh, should we go to red alert? And Thrawn is like, no, we'll leave it. Not yet. Tell me, Captain, do you know anything about art? And on kind of stammers a bit. I've never really had much time to devote to it. You should make the time, Thrawn gestured to a part of the inner display circle to his right. Safa Paintings. He identified them, circa fifteen fifty to twenty two hundred pre empire date. Note how the style changes right here at the first contact with the Thencora. Over there, he pointed to the left hand wall, are examples of Paynoid Extrasa art. Note the similarities with the early Sappho work and also the mid eighteenth century pre M Vathkri flat sculpt. <laughs> so. I listened
1: to that and I'm just thinking like how much is Timothy's on making just writing down things that aren't even words.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's he's banging the keyboard a little bit. Um so uh so in the midst of all this as as Thrawn is uh just you know making sure that Captain Playon understands how much he knows about art and how sophisticated he is. He he makes these orders for a uh, a kind of unexpected maneuver for the ship to take because they're about to be overcome by uh, outnumbered by some attack frigates that the, uh, the New Republic forces are sending after them. Playon thinks it's time to cut and run, uh, but Thrawn is like, no, no, we're going to do this, uh, this maneuver here. Um, and he, he doesn't quite, you know, Playon doesn't understand, but, you know, he follows orders. Thrawn has never let him wrong before. So they do a little maneuver, and uh, it turns out that, you know, even though this is a, a maneuver that they should be able to counter, the commander of the opposing forces chooses to do something else that makes them vulnerable to the imperial forces, and so they have a little battle, and they absolutely wipe out the uh, the new republic forces. Um, and so it was. Uh, Palan is of course amazed, and so Palan stared at the invaders, still shifting into their utterly useless defense stance. And slowly, it dawned on him what Thrawn had just done. That sentry ship attack a few minutes ago. He said, "You were able to tell from that that those are Elomen ships." Learn about art, Captain Thrawn," said his voice almost dreamy. When you understand a species' art, you understand that species. An hour later, it was all over. So there's the secret of Thrawn's tactical genius. He's an art loser, weirdo guy. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, this this whole this whole
1: thing is about like how the element can't handle a mark uh, a mark sable maneuver. Uh, yeah, they can't and handle I'm, I'm an argo like, and I'm thinking, like to that Simpson scene where. Where Bart and Lisa do rock paper scissors, and and Lisa's thinking <laughs> poor predictable Bart always picks rock, and then and Bart's like thinking good old, uh, rock. good old
0: rock nothing beats that <laughs> right exactly. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so that's our first introduction to Thrawn. They actually that's kind of the, uh, the 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 cut. Um, I don't know if we have any. Oh yes, yes. So so Thrawn actually. So this is in the first like 16, 17 pages. That uh, they set up. That uh, the whole reason why they did that little raid on uh, Ober Sky or whatever it's called was to get some uh, some coordinates, some planet coordinates on this little data card. And Thrawn smiles again. Captain, very good. Yes, Mirker, or more precisely, one of its indigenous animals, is the first piece of this plan. The second is on a world called Wayland, which I will also call Planet Smithers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Peleon, uh, I congratulate you. May I ask what exactly this puzzle is? Thron smiled, a smile that sent a shiver up Peleon's back. Why, the only puzzle worth solving, of course, the Grand Admiral said softly. The complete, total, and utter destruction of the rebellion. Bum bum bum. And there we go, folks. Yeah, sex... I guess it's
1: like the New Republic now, so. <clears throat> Well, they're, so they're really the, they're the, like the provisional government.
0: Yeah. Well, they don't recognize the, the validity of the new Republic. You know, kind of like how the United States, uh, had diplomatic relations with Taiwan until the seventies calling it China. Uh, I, I think it's a bit like that. They're refusing so to what's to gonna happen is
1: that space. Nixon is going to like recognize, <laughs> uh, the, the new Republic, the,
0: the, the breakaway. Yeah. Yeah. The, there's, you yeah, know, Paleon's going to become space Nixon later, but that's the end of chapter one. And so we move on to chapter two. With some familiar faces. That's right, everybody. If,
1: if, if you don't mind, I'd like to take over for a bit.
0: I would love you because, to. Go uh, for it. Go for it, man.
1: So so chapter two is really where we get introduced to all the characters that are on Lunchboxes. Because so you, you have, <laughs> cause you have uh, Luke having a, having a dream, and it's, uh, as you know, of good old Alec Guinness, who definitely would have never appeared in, like, you know, <laughs> if this was a movie... Right, you would have said "Go to hell, Lucas." Uh, but since this is a book, that means you can use his character as much as you want. Exactly, you but can make you can make this him is say his, his last uh, transmission,
0: which is hilarious uh, because you can you can make Ben Kenobi do whatever you want, but it's also he's like, "I came to say goodbye, Luke. Bye bye."
1: <laughs> well, he's he's saying good he's saying goodbye, but he's also like giving like sort of a preview of the book because he's. He's like, yeah, yeah. You'll yet face great dangers, Luke. But you also find new allies at times and places where you expect them least. New allies, Luke echoed. Who are they? The vision seemed to waver and become fainter. <laughs> it's almost as though as though Kenobi's about to say, "Well, read the rest of the book." Read the, yeah. What
0: you, you want me to spell it out for you? Yeah. I also love that. That's like that's like the kind of useful uh, useful hints that like the, the the old man in a cave character would give you in the original Zelda. <laughs> where he's like, "Watch out for moblins." <laughs> like, oh, okay. You, you will face great danger and have new allies. Oh, very helpful. Thank you. That's great.
1: Also, Kenobi's like, you know, uh, Luke is like, thinking, "Oh, this is just a dream." And Kenobi goes, "No, it's not a dream, but it's also a dream." So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. I can only reach I mean, you in the dreams. Yeah. I mean,
1: technically, we could we could find out that like Luke just dreamed this last visit from. Kenobi. Right. Cuz he's not like giving him any information that Luke doesn't already have.
0: Right. That's true. It's just
1: sort of predicting things.
0: Right. And then uh but then yeah, he uh he he fades away and and Luke is left upset, you know. He he's left a little uh disturbed.
1: So so he goes outside and has like a smoke break only instead he he drinks uh, a foreign concoction that that Lando uh tuned him into yes and uh y- you want to know what it
0: is uh i would love to it's a little infamous what, what is it ronnie it's hot chocolate the mysterious hot chocolate that lando brought to the galaxy this one all right when i i think i may have mentioned on the episode uh last time or maybe i didn't one of the one of the greatest uh, kind of Associations I have with this book is the fact that um, when I was reading it, uh, basically, so my mom would take us to church uh, early so we could go to Sunday school, and she had adult Sunday school, but I would go hide in the bathroom to read this book instead of going to Sunday school. <laughs> but I remember. And now look at you. And now look at me. And I, and I remember thinking, like, you know, like reading like hot chocolate wait a minute, like, this does seem to indicate that there has been some sort of contact between the Star Wars galaxy and our galaxy, at least with Mesoamerican civilizations, you know, maybe some thousands of years ago, but it would seem to indicate (laughs) that there was some contact. It's just a very strange thing to throw in, especially in, like, you know, there are many places, you know, in the book where, you know, he's talking about, like, ah, sitting down to a nice, Meal of Gleep Glorps and boobahs. you know, like he's not. It's not like he's afraid of like having them have stupid named science fiction food, but a very, I think a very it's more weird a case touch. of like
1: somebody at Lucas was like, you can absolutely not have Luke Skywalker knocking back uh, whiskey. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, and it's he. Like, the- even like if, hot chocolate yeah. is the hardest he can go. Right, right. That yeah, that makes that makes sense. But yeah, he's 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 kicking back, you know, kind of reflecting on uh Yeah,
1: give me a hot chocolate on the rocks, Scorpio. Right. Uh, C3PO. <laughs> but anyway, Scorpio. Scorp-
0: <laughs> Scorpio would be a way better name. But sorry, I keep stepping on your on your recounting of the uh, of the chapter, Ronnie. Please continue.
1: Well, he he goes out, you know, uh drinking his hot chocolate and like kind of reflecting on things when uh when his buddy C-3PO shows up and, you know, they, they banter for a bit and, and Luke, uh, sort of has, sort of, Luke is having trouble adjusting to like going from wartime Jedi hero to like setting up a provisional government, uh, which, you know, makes sense. And then he goes on this long thing about, uh, I have it quoted, uh, Luke sipped at his drink. Governments and entire planets are important. 3PO. But when you sift everything down, they're all just made of people. And I'm, I'm going to add in, in, in another, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, they're all just made up of people, man. Exactly. <laughs> There's a brief pause. Oh, po said, in other words, Luke amplified, a Jedi can't get so caught up in matters of galactic importance that it interferes with this concern for individual people. Again, man. He looked at 3PO <laughs> and smiled, or for individual droids.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: Um, the the Luke, other note I have for this section is that uh, when when Luke brings up Lando, three uh, PO like bristles at the mention of him, and like the book suggests, he has a thing against Lando. And I'm like, C three PO, racist? Question <laughs> mark.
0: Well, and I did think that was odd because you know he was talking like, well, the circumstances with how they first met, you know, yeah, sure, but like Lando proved himself in Return of the Jedi. He rescued Han Solo. He blew up the fucking Death Star. Come on. Give a brother a right.
1: break. I'll, I'll be honest, listeners. I spent a lot of time puzzling this out because I was like, okay, so C-3PO was created by Darth Vader, but we don't know that yet, so I don't know. And Lando is canonically the only black man he's ever met. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's complicated. I mean, maybe we'll get, we'll get more uh, later in the book, but it, it was... Uh, it was questionable. I, I mean, you, it's not like you need more reasons to dislike C-3PO.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so
1: anyway... Oh, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was going to say, speaking of uh, C-3PO, the the text makes a very strange, uh, I guess, orthographic decision in that... And I was trying to figure out... Because the first time C-3PO is introduced, it's like, in the text, it's the you know, C-3-P-O, the letter C and number three in P-O. But then thereafter in dialogue, it's spelled out when people say 3-P-O, it's spelled out T-H-R-E-E-P-I-O. And I hate that. (laughs) I really hate that. And they do it with R2-D2 as well. R2 is spelled A-R-T-O-O. It's spelled out. And...
1: Here's my theory. Uh, Uh, All right. Timothy Zahn was not paid by the word. He was paid by the character.
0: (laughs) Maybe so. He's padding it out. Adding a few more. That that might be so. If I recall correctly, I think this is what... This was the convention that was used in uh, Splinter in the Mind's Eye by Alan Dean Foster. The very first Star Wars novel that was written before anyone ever knew there was going to be a sequel. So it's super weird. Um, So maybe this was just like a decision they made... Like some, some, someone at the some, some of the, you know, copy editor <laughs> at Bantam in 1977 was like, uh, technically you're supposed to spell this out. I have no idea. It looks stupid, and I hate reading it.
1: Anyway, back to chapter two. Uh, C three PO is uh, visiting Luke because basically Leia asked him to, and she's worried about Luke. And you know, when you have a when you have a droid laying around, you know, you can get him to do your emotional labor for you.
0: <laughs> that's right. You can,
1: <laughs> but well, I mean, you can see why Leia doesn't do this because she's busy being pregnant with twins. She is, uh, yes. She's like three months in, uh, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah, and, and uh, here, here's something that's like kind of unimportant, but you say that actually is very important in the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a line where, like, it says Luke had to grit his teeth and tell them them being like the the new government that no, there seemed to be no residual effects of the emperor's stay because the new Republic is at the, is uh, operating out of the old Imperial palace. So basically yeah. Luke has to tell the new Republic that there's no old man stink. Uh, <laughs> right, in the, in, the, Imperial in palace. the new digs.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that does come, the, the idea of there being a kind of uh, echo of the dark side where a powerful figure of dark side power has been, or has or has died or has done something, uh, that 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 does come up. That's and that ties into what Palan was saying earlier about how oh, it was so terrible when after the the Death Star blew up and it seemed like no one knew what to do in the Imperial Navy and everyone kind of scattered ah something's going on there. Anyway, a little foreshadowing.
1: Uh, the next thing I have is uh, we we go to Leia and. Well, we don't go to Leia first. We go to, like, Luke elec- uh, locating uh, Leia and the twins. Right, with the uh, Force. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: it's, it's like using the Force to, to locate them and see how they're doing. And the book says, The Skywalker heritage was indeed with them. The fact that he could sense them at all implied they must be tremendously strong in the Force. And it's like, I don't know, can't you just, like, notice them kicking or whatever?
0: Or, like... Well, he's, he's, he's remotely noticing them kicking. So that's
1: like some like Ursat's pro-life message is like, you know,
0: I think it is.
1: They're only, they're only, (laughs) they're only like nine months, nine, nine weeks rather they're only nine weeks old and they already know how to use the force.
0: That's right. Because, because they have a, they have a soul and it's, and it's in the force and it binds us all together. Yeah. I think you're right. You know, the, the force begins at conception, Ronnie. Just you know, throwing that. Out let,
1: there. let me finish the quote. Uh, at least he assumed that was what it meant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent.
1: <laughs> and, and and even better, it had been something he'd hoped he would someday have a chance to ask Ben about, and now that chance was gone. And I'm thinking to myself, really, that's the thing you're going to ask, like the the like disembodied <laughs> your, your version, disembodied your mentor? mentor that yeah. you knew for two weeks, like <laughs> yeah, what's with this uh, sense and babies thing?
0: It's like, hey, you know, I, I keep saying, is, is that a forced <laughs>
1: thing, or or I can do, or can I do all babies?
0: Did you did you hire yourself out when you were a crazy old wizard as like a as as like a pregnancy test? Did you like <laughs> did you like charge money and you could tell if there's a baby or not? Because you know you could make money with that racket.
1: One thing I like about the original Star Wars is that you know Obi Wan Kenobi becomes a hermit and he becomes a a crazy hermit by adopting a normal human name.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is pretty good. So, hey, so I, it's I like
1: kind of the kind of like the reverse. So it's like, you know, he's just some crazy guy named Ben.
0: Right. Yeah. He, call, he calls As himself like Ben. Some, Isn't that nuts? Name. <laughs> right. He's not. He's not even named Kluklor or anything. Oh. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I I do hope that uh, I hope that Kenobi show on Disney Plus was about uh, Ben like hanging a shingle up as like a you know uh, a pregnancy test guy like he could tell if you had a a pregnancy or not, but that's probably not what they did. Well, they're cow ca- they're cowards.
1: All I know is that like the they have like little Princess Leia in there because why yeah. not? Yeah,
0: everybody yeah. has
1: to everybody has to be in everybody else's backstory.
0: Stupid. No 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 one yeah. no one no one has the creative vision of Timothy Zahn and it's just it's it's so frustrating but anyway yeah
1: back (laughs) to Zahn uh, we turned to Leia and she's like ruminating about you know Luke seems to be moody and and she's and she's like trying to use use her uh, nascent force powers but she's not very good at them like she can't turn off a light and I mean yeah like you can turn off a light just by clapping so (laughs) you're kind of shitty at yeah, and then we're then we're introduced to uh, another another uh, Zahn, uh, original, uh, I believe. Yes, character of Winter.
0: Winter, who
1: was I guess her assistant.
0: Yeah, she was her guess, uh, uh, her lady in waiting at the Alderon court. I,
1: I guess, guess kind of like the Keira Knightley to uh, to Amidala's Natalie Portman.
0: Uh, yeah, the, sure from the first movie. <laughs> Yes, yes. I, I, think, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, she was like the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the bosom attendant, perhaps. Um, but yeah, so with a name like Winter, you know she has long, soft, white, silvery hair. Uh, it's a very strange description for this character. Uh, but apparently she's very regal uh, looking and was mistaken for Princess Leia when people came to court. They think she had her regal her, her bearing was so overwhelming that she must have been the princess instead of this scrappy little brunette.
1: And here is, bar none, the weirdest uh, passage of the book so far, which is saying a lot. And it's also, uh, Winter had probably, because it, the previous line is something like, you know, she must have lost track of uh, how many times she was confused with the princess. And then it says, Witcher had probably not lost track, of course. Anyone who could remember whole conversations verbatim should certainly be able to reconstruct the number of times she'd been mistaken for a royal princess.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, because she has, like, she has an eidetic memory, photographic memory. I I guess that comes in later as, like, a plot point. Uh, So is
1: that a power or, or what?
0: I mean, in the sense that, like, you know, being neurodivergent is a power, sure.
1: Well, did, like, did Timothy Zahn, does he get, like, royalties for autism?
0: I don't know. I don't, is, he, is he, you know, a puzzle piece? I'm, 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 I'm swishing my hand around. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to. I, guess I we'll mean, Thrawn was
1: talking about solving a puzzle. That's so. true. That's true.
0: And I should say that we here at Thronderdome are uh, absolutely in support of uh, all of our folks on the spectrum. Uh, y'all are all amazing and super sweet. I have many folks on the spectrum. Uh, many uh, Sorry, many friends, uh, folks I care about on the spectrum. Uh, hey, you know, and with an ADD diagnosis, I might be on there with you, too. Apparently, that's uh, up for debate. Just throwing that out there. I, I didn't mean to call anyone puzzle pieces, is what I'm saying.
1: I mean, I mean, it's a spectrum, so logically, everyone's on the spectrum somewhere. Well, that's, that's a good
0: point. Yeah. We're it's all kind of pu- like what people say, pieces. you know,
1: like, nobody's 100% straight. <laughs> right. Except for, of course, Burt Reynolds.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that He's the exception
1: so. that proves the rule. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we we get more uh, more with Leia because she uh, she she's like complaining also about like setting up the provisional government. There, there's a lot of stuff about the provisional government in the second chapter. Yeah. But uh, but she talks about how she like. She's like pretty much the only one qualified to do any of this work because everyone else is like a, like Luke, a, a backwards, uh, a space redneck.
0: Who, <laughs> right. A backwards space redneck or an army guy. So no one knows what to do.
1: Yeah. Whereas, uh, it says here, uh, unlike virtually all the others in the Alliance hierarchy, she had had extensive training in both the theory and more practical aspects of politics. She'd grown up in the Royal House of Alderaan, learning about system-wide rule from her foster father, Learning it so well that, well, still in her teens, she had already she was already representing him in the Imperial Senate, Which just seems irresponsible to me. <laughs> I mean, this was this was before we had uh, Padme Amidala being queen as at fourteen years old. So right, um, right. Anyway, without her expertise, this whole thing could easily collapse, particularly in these early critical stages of New Republic's development. A few more months, just a few more months, and she'd be able to ease off a little. She'd make it all up to Han then. Yeah, because that's also a, a factor in this. Because because uh, Leia and Han are, are married now, and and they're mm-hmm. uh, they're experiencing some uh, some relationship distance.
0: Mm-hmm. They they are, yeah. I it's mean, a, way, I, a little strange. I mean,
1: I mean, obviously they have to be married because Leia is pregnant, and you can't.
0: You can't... <laughs> and we can't. George would not abide. Uh, and and yeah. not not even not even uh, the famous rascal and scoundrel Han Solo would sire a child out of wedlock. Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, you, you got to put a ring on it or, yeah. or a space ring or
0: whatever. That's right. That's right. Hey, speaking of Han Solo, what's he up to? Why, is, why isn't why is he at home taking care of his pregnant wife?
1: Because he's at a very familiar setting from, from uh, tattooing. He's at the <laughs> Mos Eisley Cantina.
0: Ah, but it's changed. It's different now. <laughs> it's not the same as all, it was. <laughs> all of
1: the, yeah, all of the background <laughs> monster people are gone and replaced by different monster people. And, and even to the point where even the band has, has uh, been a different band now.
0: They don't So even have say goodbye firm... to,
1: the, to the Modal Nodes. The Modal
0: Nodes, yeah. Uh, yeah Figurin' ex- Dan. This is exactly... Figuring
1: Dan, dead of a heroin
0: overdose. <laughs> I was going to say, this is exactly like in uh, Miami Connection when uh, Dragon Sound gets that other band fired from the club. Got, Ferg, and, Ferg and Dan rolls up and tries to beat up the other band with his with his bunch of ninjas, but they all kick his ass.
1: Before we get to Han Solo and Ernest, I just want to make uh, make point in the note I have where it a very weird use of language because uh, Leia tells Winter to scat, as in leave her room. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, that's just such strange slang to use in Star
0: Wars. That's true. And it is a little... I I guess they can be, like, kind of playful about it. It still feels a little princessy to use, like, a term you would tell a cat to do something, you know? Like, get out of here!
1: Well, Zahn is so bad with descriptions, it might turn out that Winter is a cat person. (laughs) It could
0: be. We we might see, yeah. So, anyway, Han's Han's there. Speaking speaking of bad
1: descriptions, uh, uh, Han Solo uh, meets up with this, I guess, uh, fellow uh, smuggler... Acquaintance of his, Dravis.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, a want to dra- talk about
1: Travis. Let, let's talk about Dravis.
0: Let's talk about Travis McElroy for a second. That's um, <laughs> uh, So, yeah. So Han is... He's meeting up with Dravis because... And I something that I do love about Star Wars in general is, like, anything that got mentioned in Star Wars 1 is an essential part of everything that goes on. So apparently smuggling is a huge, huge business in the galaxy. (laughs) Like, to the extent that Han is meeting with Travis McElroy to, uh, to arrange for the smuggler, organized crime smuggler network, to start running legit cargo stuff for the New Republic. So, like, smuggling as a business is apparently big enough... To sub in as the merchant marine for a galaxy-spanning government, I guess.
1: <laughs> I mean, I mean, Han sweet's the deal by saying there will be no government tariffs. And I'm thinking to myself, "That's
0: right, that's right."
1: You think, you, you think Zahn, uh, was at the premiere of of. Uh... Of Phantom Menace, and he saw like all the shit about trade blockades and tariffs. And like, <laughs> God damn it, son bitch, <laughs> that son of a, a bitch Lucas stole garbage. my boring garbage.
0: He never even told me he read the book, but he read the book. <laughs> yeah, so he's, I was
1: I was the one who made Star Wars boring, not him.
0: <laughs> so he's so he's talking with Travis, and um, who was never really described. So we don't know if he's a monster man. We don't know if he's a human. Because he's Travis McElroy, I'm assuming he has a dyed purple beard. Um, sorry, well, this is all be an alien. This, this is I, I should just apologize to everyone who's not familiar with uh, the McElroy brothers as podcasters. Uh, one of them is named Travis, and uh, he has an annoying online presence. Uh, so that's that's what all this is about. Um, yeah. So their, their pitch is that uh, they're going to make it so that smuggling isn't worth it by doing away with tariffs. Uh, So that then if you want to make if you want to make your money running guns and whatever, or I guess just regular goods, uh, but avoiding the tax man, you know, going through the duty free shop, then you would necessarily have to do it in imperial territory where they're much more serious about killing you if you do that. Um, So Han is like, all right, you go talk to your buddies. And hey, who's who who took over Jabba's old operation? You know, since we murdered him and blew up his barge (laughs) five years ago. Uh, and Travis uh, says that, hey, you know, I don't really know, you know, but if I am a betting man, I put my money on Talon Card. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So this is the
1: first of, uh, no <laughs> doubt, many times I just said "fuck <laughs> you" to the book. <laughs>
0: That's right. <laughs> See, he's the wild card in all this, and his name is Card K R R D E, so it's space stuff. It's not actually a card, so it's, it's totally different, Ronnie. I don't know why you are rolling your eyes. It's totally different. Um,
1: Talon Card is the name of like a member of uh, of Jim Lee's Wildcats. <laughs> that,
0: that's not a Star Wars name. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So uh, with all this, uh, anyway, but
1: that's 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 basically it for for chapter two. The only yeah. other things I have for it are is that uh, the the tidbit that like uh, the Calamarians, the 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 Admiral Akbar people, are apparently yeah. very anti smuggling.
0: Yeah, they were the, the the big crackdowns on smuggling. Yeah,
1: they were like uh, to to uh, the war on smuggling as Joe Biden was to the war on drugs. <laughs>
0: there was Admiral Admiral Akbar was up there giving speeches about super predators in the uh, in the Imperial Assembly or or wherever. Meanwhile, I his
1: son. Meanwhile, his son Hunter Akbar was like <laughs> shooting up.
0: Hunter Akbar, uh, Hunter Akbar, who had been hooked up with a with a sweet deal, uh, running an energy company on Narshada, uh, but was hooked up with the local hut uh, crime syndicates over there. Uh, but he's yeah, he's he's going he's going nuts with the smuggling.
1: This is completely off topic, but did you hear about like that Hunter Biden movie they're making?
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, and there's a Star Wars connection because uh, uh, Gina Carino or whatever her name, who got fired from Star Wars for like not keeping her transphobia to herself for just five minutes to get rich on Star Wars. (laughs) She's now going to be in the Hunter Biden movie. That's her her new big project.
1: (laughs) I mean, you say uh, fired for being transpo transphobic, I say, being cancelled by the woke mob.
0: That's right. Uh, Fired and, you know, for differing, truth. Differing yeah. opinions
1: on uh, Thronderdome. Uh, well, right. well, yeah, that's... Uh, well,
0: hey, that's why you come to Thronderdome. No, you know, well, that's the next segment.
1: <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm just kidding. Gina Carino's a, a pile of shit, and she's, she she's an awful actress. Yeah,
0: She's...
1: Her, her biggest role ever was in Haywire, and she was so bad, she had to be dubbed over. So... Um, anyway, the last point I want to make about chapter Two is that like as uh, as Hansel and Dravis like uh, part company, Dravis says, "Oh yeah, and uh, tell your your body man that he's the worst uh, body man in the galaxy and and that body man is none other than wedge Antilles <laughs> wedge
0: Antilles <laughs> who, who George Lucas insisted be inserted somewhere uh, to awkwardly stick out and no one knows what to do with him, apparently.
1: I like the idea that George Lucas actually did, like, read the outline or the chapters or whatever, and he gave very vague, contradictory, and outright strange, uh, uh, like, uh, demands. Like, the only demand for chapter two is put Wedge Antilles in there.
0: <laughs> Wedge should be in the bar next to a walrus face and uh, devil man. <laughs> uh,
1: you might say Wedge was wedged in there.
0: Oh, I would say, and you might say, he smuggled him in like rum smugglers in the Antilles Islands, huh?
1: I, I'm gonna be honest; I don't remember like Wedge Antilles <laughs> from the the first movies. Like he was just Luke's friend. He he was Luke's friend.
0: He was the other. He was the other X-wing pilot. So in the first, okay, I, I think I got this right. Wedge Antilles... I don't think they ever 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 say his name. Um. But he's the guy who uh, Luke leans over in, in the first movie and says, uh, two meters, that's no big deal. We used to bullseye womp rat smaller than that back home. Um, and then in Return of the Jedi, he's the guy flying the X-Wing when Lando uh, makes his way in the Millennium Falcon into the interior of the Death Star. The X-Wing that's flying with him is Wedge Antilles. So Wedge and uh, Lando are the guys who do the kill shots on uh on the second death star that
1: establishes how much of an afterthought that second death star is like the first death star was destroyed by luke skywalker luke skywalker himself lando his uh his walrus man friend and and uh wedge and that guy (laughs) the other one (laughs) but yeah yeah
0: so that leads us out to uh chapter three where we uh is it all right if i if i take on the uh the recap for chapter three here
1: yeah, sure, go ahead. I All think right. it's, it's a good idea for us to like just sort of ping Yeah, pong, we can uh, switch it chapters. off.
0: Yeah, so this is great. See, listeners, you're, sort of, you're learning and growing with us as we learn and grow as we, as we do this. So Chapter 3 opens in the private office of Talon Card, whom we were just introduced to existing. Here we go. We get to meet him. Uh, there's a tap at his door. His private office was set with a fold-out table with a spread ready to go. And a tap at the door, and a young woman named Mara comes to join him for dinner. Uh, she, she actually gets more description than anyone else, and it's probably because Timothy has concocted the, the perfect woman as a, as a tulpa. He has is, he is, he is willed her into existence in his, uh, in his mind palace that he puts onto the page here. Because um, he, he has a few sort of notes like, The door slid open with her usual cat-like grace, Mara Jade, walked into the room. You didn't say what her green eyes flickered to the elaborately set table. This was all about, she finished, her tone just noticeably different. The green eyes came back to him, cool and measuring. So, hitting hitting the green a couple of times in the same paragraph that he says her name is Jade. This is um one thing I love about Timothy Zahn Ronnie is his subtlety. Uh I think, I think he's a, he's an author that um really you get a lot out of a close reading, you know?
1: I I just like the fact that Mara Jade uh, is a redhead whose name sounds suspiciously similar to Mary Jane of Spider Man,
0: oh. and where oh she turns
1: out to also be a love interest for a main character on this uh, in this novel.
0: Yes, yes, that's right. Um, so uh, Talon Card invites her in, and uh, while you might think that this is a boss getting creepy with his uh, employee. It's actually a boss getting creepy with his employee for non-sexual reasons, because uh, Card wants to start grooming her to be his second in command. So she's been with his smuggling outfit, which is again like apparently the largest segment of the galactic economy for uh, for several months. And he sees he knows talent when he sees it. He also has a couple of like little, I guess, dog ferret thingies called Vornskers that are named Sturm and Drong. That's funny. Uh, a little literature joke for anybody who knows their nineteenth-century uh, German Romanticism. Uh, <laughs>
1: but... Yeah, it's a, it, it, the the Vonsker are apparently animals that that cackle purr, which gave me like the the mental image of like a a crow cat creature.
0: I, I guess know. yeah, I don't know. Um, one one yeah. thing, and and again, one thing about and again, prose
1: is that like he is he is often like saying like people are like you know, have cat-like grace or they have wolfish smiles. And it's like, that's kind of shitty to do. when, like the, this is a galaxy full of like actual cat and wolf people.
0: (laughs) That's true. There, we do know that there is, yeah, we do know there's a a wolf guy in the original cantina scene. Um, and I'm sure there's cat people, you know, elsewhere. There's always cat people. Uh, That, that
1: wolf guy probably has like a 300 page Wikipedia entry,
0: which is exactly why we will never consult Wikipedia. Everyone out there, remember, we will never do it, and do not write in. <laughs>
1: um. God, I, God, I hope there's one of those scandals. <laughs> you know how Wikipedia has those scandals every so often. Like you hear, oh, one, one editor like completely changed every uh, every uh, entry on Turkish nationalism. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. To, yeah. To be complete nonsense. I wonder if there's going to be a similar scandal on Wikipedia or 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 maybe not, maybe Wikipedia like cites its sources more exhaustively than Wikipedia does, I mean there's like uh, a higher threshold
0: yeah, there might well, the thing is you can get away with a lot on Wikipedia if you just include the little number links because no one ever digs deep well, I do, but I'm a giant nerd um but you could probably get away with a lot if it's just if you just cite a book that doesn't exist and like you click the link and it takes you down to the citation, you know who's gonna bother chasing that down again i I do but you know, I, I have brain issues, um, plenty of
1: star Wars nerds would.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we like they, could... they,
1: they know what happens in tales of the dark side. Number 44. <laughs> <stroke> <laughs> they have, an, they, have an,
0: they have an encyclopedic knowledge of the dark horse comics series, dark empire too. Uh, so, you know, they can, they can really nail you on that stuff. So talent card is letting Mara Jade know that uh, she's about to get a big promotion. Um, we we get we get one more uh, element of Mara Jade's appearance. Her red gold hair shimmers, so she's a, a pretty young lady with green eyes and red hair. Talon Card. I don't think we actually get any description of him, do we? I'm I'm looking no, through. We... He's got. We have absolutely nothing. It's sort of implied that he's like a kind of at least. I think it's implied that he would be. I guess on the older side, because he's the you know the head honcho of a big operation. So I guess maybe he's a kind of salt and pepper looking fella, but uh well, he drinks
1: wine so
0: he drinks uh, wine so once so we know he's classy he looks classy
1: uh uh so, something that we're gonna do like throughout uh, this podcast is like sort of sort of cast the new characters uh mm-hmm. as though they were in uh in in a movie version of this uh of yeah this so who's giving for, you who's for, giving you
0: card vibe for, for
1: talent for talent card I'm thinking Paul Giamatti <laughs>
0: You're going, and that different... might
1: be, that You're... might be because I just watched Sideways last night, and he was drinking a lot of wine and that. But <laughs> I,
0: I think that is probably it, because he strikes me as having a little more dignity than than Paul Giamatti typically brings to a performance. I, I know that Paul Giamatti, as a man, is very dignified, but uh, he, he he doesn't typically perform that way. Uh, who would I cast? But you, as, could
1: as him, card? you could see him. You could see him like trying to trying to. Uh, Trying to promote Mara Jade and like going about it all wrong and just yeah like, yeah yeah, yeah
0: you know what I, I think we're gonna go with it so reader in your mind please picture uh, Paul Giamatti when we talk about Talon Card and Talon Card is a, a bit of a foxy fellow you know he's he's a sly he's he's a sly operator because uh, so he has his little base I guess on uh, on this planet and uh, they notice that an Imperial Star Destroyer shows up in orbit the Chimera. Um, and something happened that I'm, I thought was pretty funny. Um, so he gets, uh, one of one of his guys calls in on the intercom. It's Avi's. the voice said, thought you'd like to know we've got company. An Imperial star destroyer just made orbit. Card glanced at Mara as he got to his feet. Any make on it yet? He asked, dropping his napkin beside his plate and stepping around the desk to where he could see the screen. They're not exactly broadcasting ID SIGs these days. Avi shook his head. The lettering on the side is hard to read at this distance, but Torvi's best guess is that it's the Chimera. All right. Are they painting the names of the ships on the sides of the Star Destroyers?
1: I have to assume so.
0: And are you looking at it with like a telescope? <laughs> like what is, what is happening? I thought that was a very odd kind of thing there. Anyway, they, so they pick up that uh, the Imperials are sending a couple shuttles down. In the vicinity of their little headquarters, so uh, you know, with with balls of brass, Talon Card decides to call up the Imperial Star Destroyer. Now, you'd think a smuggler would just want to lay low, you know, you know, you don't want to want but Talon Card, he doesn't play it that way. Oh, he's a he's a sly dog, all right. So uh, he gets Captain Pellan on the horn after a little bit of wrangling, and they have a little, you know, one of those scenes where like both people are talking around the real issue right and they're being very sly about it uh but uh card works out that what they're after is a creature native to uh to this planet where he has his smuggling operation headquartered uh Isalamiri and these are little critters which will have a big impact on the plot because they have a much like it's, it's sort of a midi-chlorian's moment in a way that it contradicts what we were told the force was <laughs> For everything, because we're told of course, you know Obi-Wan Kenobi tells us that the force penetrates us, it binds us, it binds the galaxy together every living thing and every object in the galaxy is bound by the force, except these little caterpillar guys with claws who hang on trees on this planet because they suppress force powers in a radius around them okay now this is
1: this is another example of Timothy zahn's like vivid painting of. Painting a picture with words, descriptions. Because the yellow samari are fifty centimeters, not predatory, and they hang on tree branches. <laughs> exactly. That, that's the description, and they have claws. That's and the they description have, we're given. Right.
0: They have claws that that sink into the trees, so that they're they're kind of tricky to remove. Right. And and thank you, Timothy, for that vivid description. Um but so so you, you were
1: saying they were caterpillars like they could be anything they could be little lizards they could be monkeys who knows That's a good
0: that's a really good point that is a very good point Um
1: it's all it's almost as like I was waiting for like there to be there'd be like you know notes notes in brackets saying like uh ILM do your magic here <laughs> Like like just letting letting the designers come up with right. whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> Which is the secret maybe, to Star it. Wars' maybe success. Maybe that's why he's so bad with descriptions, because he's assuming that ILM's just going to pick up the slack for him.
0: Right. I mean, because that's the thing. I mean, we, I think we talked a little bit last time, is that like so much of Star Wars' appeal and the impact it had was the production design. It was the Starship designs. It was, it was the robot designs. It was the set design and costumes. That's why everyone thought it was cool. And I think you're right. <laughs> like Timothy is in that he's in that headspace where's just like ah you know like the, the ILM guys will figure it out. Ralph MacQuarie will draw up a a uh, a sketch and we'll and we'll go with that. Um, but I mean, anyway, keep in mind
1: his main his main uh, uh, viewpoint of the uh, the Star Wars trilogy is through the audio is through the tapes. yeah
0: that's that's how he most absorbed it. You're right. Uh, that really man that mm, I think that's going to be the skeleton key to help us really interpret this text uh so anyway talon card talon card the slickest smuggler boss in the galaxy uh strikes up a deal with paleon because uh, apparently it's very tricky to get these things off their branches without killing them but his guys know how to do it so he's gonna go send a couple guys to help the imperials get these things off the trees for whatever they have in mind for them uh, and in so doing kind of gain a little, you know, he, they're going to owe him a favor. He gets to observe what they're doing. You know, he's doing his little information broker business right there. Uh, so that kind of wraps up, uh, card says, uh, like, okay, that's going, uh, and in the meantime, card said, we still have business to discuss. As I recall, you were going to list some improvements you would make to the organization. He says to Mara Jade. And we close out the uh, the chapter with uh, which is really
1: great because we have no idea what the organization is or how many people are in it. I mean,
0: we get yeah, we get, so
1: get, see, <laughs> we, get we get a couple of names. We get Aves, <laughs> Dankin, and my favorite Chin.
0: Chin, yeah. So get in in typical uh, detailed, zon descriptive fashion. Here is the the picture we're painted about uh, about this sprawling organization. Slowly at first, but with ever-increasing confidence, she launched into a detailed and generally insightful compendium of his group's shortcomings. Card listened closely as he ate, wondering again at the hidden talents of this woman. Some day, he promised himself silently he was going to find a way to dig the details of her past out from under the cloak of secrecy she'd so carefully shrouded it with, to find out where she'd come from and who and what she was, and to learn exactly what it was Luke Skywalker had done to make her so desperately hate him. The end of chapter just go, three.
1: Just, just, just to go back to The Simpsons, that whole scene reminded me of the, where Homer has the dream of like the thing he's invented that has like solved all his money problems and he and he just needs to see a glimpse <laughs> right, of what the needs thing to, is. Right, get like, a peek around someone's why, why shoulder. Do you, why do you need to know what it is, Mr. Simpson? You invented it. You invented it. it.
0: <laughs> exactly, that's exactly it. But anyway, so we're but, So we get the Mara Jade is introduced as her her main her main uh, characteristics are she has green eyes and red hair and hates Luke Skywalker, and so that's the first three chapters of *Heir to the Empire*. Ronnie, how are you feeling?
1: There's just one thing I want to add to chapter three that I found kind of funny. Uh, there's a line, line where uh, where let's see, uh, the emperor supposedly made a queen clean sweep of them in the early days of the new order unless uh talon card added as another thought occurred to him they've perhaps found darth vader vader died on the death star mara said along with the emperor that's the story certainly he died there mara cut him off her voice suddenly sharp of course (laughs) card nodded and i'm thinking talon card vader truther question mark
0: (laughs) that's awesome yeah i forgot about that bit
1: because i mean actually if you think about it it does make a bit of sense because like we have people that people in this country that have seen endless footage of nine 11 on TV and are like, ah, that, that was just, you know, controlled demolition bullshit. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. Like imagine
1: how big the galaxy is. Like it, it's probably going to take like Tusken Raiders like 25 years to find out the empire is kaput. It'll just be like that story about the Japanese soldier who doesn't realize the war is over writ large (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's, it's very good. Uh, well, the, yeah. So that's, that's our exciting. Trip. A lot of, Hey, a lot of pieces are set on the chessboard, you know, as, as Thrawn might say uh, artfully carved marble pieces are now on the chessboard. We've been introduced to kind of the main, really the three main threads. You have the, uh, the Thrawn people, you have uh, classic star Wars guys, and you have the card angle. And those are kind of the, the smugglers. The smug the smugglers. And those are kind of the three threads that will will follow on our on our epic journey as woven together in the tapestry of literature by the uh by the estimable and uh incomparable Timothy Zahn. Uh I for one am very excited to see where all this goes, how it all plays out and how it all pays off. And uh we'll be th- absolutely thrilled listener. For you to follow with us, uh, when next time we will uh, recap epi- er, uh, uh, sorry episodes, <laughs> we will recap chapters uh, 4, 5, and 6. But before we go, we get to the next segment of our show, which is the Thronderdome. That's right. Not only are we a recap show, we are also a debate forum between myself and and Ronnie Gardaki. That's right. Dr. Daniel Dotti versus Ronnie Gardaki on the contentious subjects of the day or any day or whatever we feel about arguing about. We are going into the Thronderdome. Dome. We will see who emerges. Ronnie, what is the first struggle, the first gladiatorial combat in the arena of the mind that is Thronderdome?
1: Well, here's a relevant one, I think. Uh, women, should they be in Star Wars?
0: All right. I'm going to, I'm going to post the pro position. I believe that uh, women should be in Star Wars. I think that women are important in the galaxy, and that their contributions will be recognized more and more. Uh, I think there are there are Sand people women, and there are probably Jawa women. So uh, I think it's important. Uh, yes, uh, Ronnie, how do you counter?
1: I think the original trilogy introduced all the women that we need because you got Princess Leia, who uh, who got enslaved by a by, a, uh, <laughs> by an obese monster uh,
0: uh-huh.
1: briefly. Um, you got the uh, the Mon Mothma, who's like your your classic elderly lesbian, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got uh, Beru, who uh, in typical woman fashion is uh, swiftly killed to motivate. Motivate the male hero.
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, she did fulfill the woman's role of providing some sort of context for what a man does. So that's, (laughs) that's pretty, that's valuable. Um, And Ronnie, in typical misogynist fashion, you left out two of the most, uh, three of the most important women uh, in the Star Wars universe. The uh, stilt-legged, long-snouted, red-lipped singer in the Max Rebo band. The lady with six, uh breasts and the other lady with uh head tails who also had breasts and I think you could kind of see them in a couple shots uh if I recall correctly.
1: You know, just a sidebar, I'm really surprised at how uh chaste Zahn is in describing Mara Jade. Yeah,
0: like, I'm a little lo- for honestly for I a I th-
1: forty year old for a forty year old <laughs> sci fi writer
0: <laughs> in nineteen ninety one.
1: Yeah you're 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 really lucking out that he's only describing her her eye color and her hair color. Yeah, he's and really keeping it in his pants. Like, so the far. way her the way she like kind of you know has a has a um, let's see a a death like rigidness of the muscles of her face, and he's not he's not describing you know what uh, what you know all the creeps want to see, <laughs> which I think is which, which I think. In 1991, almost passes for feminism.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's uh, well, I think you're you're absolutely right. This is definitely 1991 feminism uh, in that you introduce. Well, it's it's a bit Josh Whedon, isn't it? Uh, He's introducing a hot lady, a hot lady who's going to beat people up. Whedon, Josh
1: Whedon.
0: It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it definitely predates Josh Whedon. Um, And again, I I will keep mispronouncing his name. Uh, I don't care. Josh isn't a real name. Um,
1: uh, sick freak, Josh Whedon. Yeah. Um, oh,
0: oh, oh, we kind of we kind of lost the plot that we're supposed to be arguing about something. Uh. Uh. uh, uh
1: anyway, the point the point <laughs> I want to make is that the original Star Wars trilogy had all the all the women you needed. The, right. The, right. The, the princess, the lesbian, the the dead woman. Right. The, the platonic ideals of women.
0: The three, and
1: you know, and you know, adding like you know Ray and and Rose Tico and. And, you know, the rest of them, uh, I think Felicity Jones is in that Rogue One movie, I think. Yeah, well,
0: it's just just too many
1: characters.
0: You got the titular character, Rogue One. That's her name, right? I don't know. I I did not pay much attention to that movie. I I think what you do have in Star Wars, though, is that when um, clearly you have to be keeping in the spirit of uh, George Lucas is that when you introduce a new woman character, she has to be a petite, pretty brown haired lady.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because
0: uh, you know that's he, he's been introducing pretty, uh, pretty brown-haired ladies to to, to screen a uh, legendary. Uh, that's what that's what he likes to do. Um, well, I, I disagree, Ronnie. I think that we should have had um, uh, we should have had even more women. We should have definitely had more uh, crazy alien monster women, and not just the person who runs an eight thousand year old temple bar somewhere. From I'm going to level with y'all. The only of the new trilogy I saw was uh, Force Awakens. So uh, that's really all I have to go. Well, I, I guess Rogue One, I saw that one too, but that's not part of the trilogy. Anyway, I think we need more uh, weirdo monster women. And I think they need to be gutsy. And I think they need to persist. And I will not back down from that. And uh, yeah, that's what all I have to say about it. Uh,
1: Counterpoint, girls are icky and have cooties. Um uh, science fiction is uh, long been the province of uh, creepy men and, uh, <laughs> and adding uh, attractive assertive women uh, makes uh, them definitely them feel uncomfortable mm. uh, with themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah I, definitely I, not yeah. me though. <laughs> Only those guys i'm just you're just yeah. looking out you're just looking out for them It's selfless. Your misogyny is really just selfless. Because you're just looking out for the most underrepresented people in our society weird nerds who watch too many movies
1: who who only have you know most of the vectors of power in society <laughs> and and all they ask for is the biggest media franchise in the world to exclusively cater to them
0: and is that really so much to ask uh you know we'll we'll leave that for another uh, round of debate in the Thronder Dome, but I guess we'll have to we'll just have to leave this one uh, as a question up in the air uh, because we we two titans we two mental entheases uh, have grappled here in the in the blood soaked sand of the Colosseum of the Brain uh, and have come to a draw. So I guess uh, yeah. Until just until my,
1: my final point, uh yeah. Timothy Zahn, the master himself, he introduced a swath of new characters in the first three chapters. Only one of them was a woman.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, we don't know if that uh, that weird Dobby assassin is a lady. Or did we? I guess That's they said true. He. I think they probably said I, I think they point. use gendered pronouns. Yeah, they use a gender But pronoun. I think All we right.
1: could reach a compromise that, like, one woman can be introduced every three chapters.
0: Look at that. Hey, look at that. You're already forgetting Winter.
1: Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> but she might be a cat she so, might be a
0: cat person we don't know yet we don't know we'll have to wait for timothy to finally describe her in the last chapter of the third book in the trilogy and we'll have a better idea but anyway thank you so much all listeners yeah for, how uh, could i
1: how could i forget the the character find of winter <laughs>
0: jeez <laughs> thank, thank you again ronnie is going to sit with his shame uh until until we join you again next time but thank you so much for joining us at the outset the beginning of our hero's journey our joseph cambellian Hero with a Thousand Faces journey that we're taking hand in hand with our guide and mentor, uh, our Virgil, much as Virgil guided Dante through uh, the circles of hell. So Timothy Zahn will guide us through our hero's journey in Heir to the Empire. uh, And we will be discussing chapters four, five, and six when we see you next time.
1: Goodbye.